Hello from Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News. This is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. I don't know. Should we talk about elections? You want to? You want to start off at least you know, with elections? Attention, Idaho reporters. Uh, there's an election Tuesday. And it feels like this has been just a, a, an enormously busy week. I mean, the run-up to elections are always busy. But this one, it feels like there was a new chapter in the superintendent's race in particular. It seemed like every day there, there was something new developing uh, as that race uh, heads to its conclusion on Tuesday. Yeah, let's just go back and start at the beginning of the week. If, if you want to, Kevin, do you want to start with some endorsement news in the superintendent's we, race? We can talk about endorsements. We can talk about advertising, both of which was I think an are really debate. A, and, and a debate. Um, I, I think it all kind of ties together. One of the things that kind of jumps out, too, is that this whole race has taken on a different tone just in the past few days, and it does kind of you know, tie together the ad campaigns that we're seeing and some of the endorsements that we're seeing down, down to the wire. I was really stunned by the magnitude of the ad campaigns that we're seeing in, in terms of the money that's going into them. Um, so you have two ads, just to get people caught up. You have one that's uh, being funded by the National Education Association. Uh, this is an ad that does not mention Democratic candidate Cindy Wilson at all. It focuses exclusively on Republican incumbent Sherry Ibarra, criticizes her for uh, a gaffe in her office and in their budget request that they submitted back in September, a $100 million uh, mistake that you know we chronicled back when, when it occurred. Uh, takes Ibarra to task for the rollout of her Keep uh, Idaho Students Safe initiative and the blowback that she's received from education groups who felt like they were cut out of the process. Also takes her to task for bragging about graduation rates that have increased by the barest of margins and really statistically are, are stagnant. It's a very hard-hitting ad. And, and we've seen it a lot, and you dug into the numbers, uh, National Education Association spending almost Two hundred and fifty thousand yes, dollars with the a local quarter teachers. Of a million union. dollars in this one ad campaign, uh, kind of a jaw-dropping amount of money, and I think the ads sort of they sort of jump out on the screen because you know we've been inundated by ads, especially on Proposition One, the uh, the horse racing yeah. initiative, to the point where I, I suspect that there are some viewers who are just tuning out of those ads uh, because there's just been such a drumbeat. When these ads started to appear, and I started first seeing them uh, here in the Treasure Valley last week, it, it kind of jumped out, A, because we covered this race, yeah. but B, because it was, uh, I was surprised to see that we were having an ad campaign in in the superintendent's race. I because neither candidate independently raised the kind of money to have big ad buys, right? right? And exactly. When you look at the Sunshine Reports for both candidates, uh, Wilson is out raising a bar. I break those numbers down. Uh, you can look at those at idahoednews.org. But, but these not, are the third-party ads, right. outside groups. We're, but we're not talking about big money in either campaign, per se. But these are the third-party uh, ad campaigns, and that's where the big money is right now. So that's the one ad, the, the one that's being funded uh, by the National Education Association. The second, it kind of flips the script a little bit. Mm -hmm. it, it talks about Cindy Wilson. It talks about her classroom experience. talks about her experience on the State Board of Correction. Uh, so it touts Wilson's resume. It does not mention Ibarra at all. That ad is funded partly by the Idaho Education Association, but funded largely by A.J. Belukov, the former gubernatorial candidate, the uh, former Boise school 
trustee, that ad campaign is in the $150,000 range. So you put it all together, that's, that's $400,000 that we know of right now that's being put into television advertising, all in support of Wilson. I've seen no evidence of any kind of advertising uh, supporting Sherry Ibarra. So that's a that's a big thing as you head into the um, the home stretch of an election. That, that really, I think, and, and I'm sure the Wilson supporters are hoping this this happens. It really kind of elevates the the stature of this race. Kind of a down ticket race could be easily forgotten by uh, voters who are thinking more about the governor's race and the two initiatives. It, it kind of puts this race a little bit more on the map with voters who may not have realized we had a state superintendent's race on the ballot. With yeah, with the money breaking into this late. Like, race late. I, I think it was like October 18th that the NEA's uh, contribution came through somewhere thereabouts. Uh, but late money coming into the race, a, a lot of ads. We'll probably continue to see them this weekend and the early part of next week. But I was writing earlier this week, Kevin, I already am sort of expecting the state superintendent's race to be perhaps the closest statewide race on Election Day, November 6th, next Tuesday. And uh, kind of using history as an example, uh, that's my expectation, that that will be perhaps the closest race Tuesday night, the one that will keep us up, the one that will be in doubt the longest. Exactly. I vividly remember being up until about 5 in the morning the, the day after Election Day in 2014 because there was no way to call the superintendent's race. Uh, the Associated Press hadn't uh, called it, and the numbers were still out uh, to a large enough degree, and the race was close enough that it wasn't uh, at all clear who was going to win uh, the margin was only 5,500 votes. Uh, Out of like 200 and almost 240,000, I want to say, cast state. Yeah, and it may even be more than that. I'm, yeah. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I think, uh, yeah, very narrow uh, margin of victory for, uh, for Sherry Ibarra. And I think when you look at those numbers from four years ago and you look at the kind of the breakdown of uh, where Ibarra won, where Ibarra lost, um, I see a path to victory for both candidates, and I, and I blogged about this on Thursday, kind of looking at the 2014 results, looking at kind of the state of the race, um, and some counties to watch for as we get ready to watch this thing on, on Tuesday night. Ada County is going to be big on Tuesday night, not just in the superintendent's race, it's going to be big in the governor's race, it's going to be big in the uh, Proposition 2 Medicaid expansion initiative. The projection on turnout in Ada County um, could be up to 73%. That is close to the turnout that we saw in Ada County for the president's race two years ago. And it's well above the turnout that we saw in that 2014 election. Why is Ada County so important? And ultimately, why is it so important to Cindy Wilson? Well, four years ago, Janet Jones uh, won Ada County by more than 22,000 votes. That almost pushed her uh, past Sherry Ibarra. So, if the turnout is up in Ada County, if there are more people going to the polls in Ada County, and that vote breaks in Wilson's favor, roughly kind of like it did for Janet Jones four years ago. Janet Jones had like 58%, I believe, in Ada County, won it handily. If Wilson wins it handily, and you've got a bunch more voters coming out in Ada County, that you know pushes her a lot closer to winning this race. The Ada County is going to be huge. I also really want to watch uh, Eastern Idaho closely, namely Bannock and Bonneville yep. County. A couple of big counties, lots of votes out there. One of the things we talked about, you mentioned endorsements at the outset. 
Uh, Frank Vandersloot, the uh, CEO of Melaleuca, kind of a surprise endorsement on Monday came out in, fa in, in support of Cindy Wilson. And backed it up with uh, $5,000 of his own yeah, money. Yeah, maxed out his own personal and business Maximum donations. contribution. And Melaleuca matched it with a maximum contribution to Wilson's campaign. You know, Devin Bodkin had the story of, about that on Monday. Vandersloot endorses a Democrat literally once every 12 years. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we look back in, in time. This doesn't happen very often. Uh, Vandersloot is a, is a very influential player in Idaho politics. He's a very big name in Eastern Idaho. He was a financial co-chair for Mitt Romney's presidential campaign. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, a big player within the Republican Party. I think a Republican kingmaker is one way that uh, that you've yeah. described him well, in your blog. And, this and I think it's a, a fair description. And part of what I thought he's was, a kind of guy that has Republican presidential candidates visit his home and business. I yes. mean, that's the level yeah. of stature and influence that Frank has. When you have uh, his stature, and let's be blunt, when you have his money, yeah, well, sure, you can have access to basically any. Uh, a politician or any candidate, or have the ear of any politician or candidate that you want to hear from or, or we want to speak to. Um, what was telling in um, Vandersloot's announcement on Monday was that he said that he had spoken to Republicans, didn't name names, uh, who were disappointed with Ibarra's engagement at the legislature, dis disappointed with her performance, kind of ties into a storyline that you've written about um, you, you, you wrote about at the end of the uh, 2018 Very session. familiar uh, yeah. issues that it, he was talking these about. Are this criticism, didn't come out of nowhere. Yeah, these are criticisms we've, we've heard before. And while, again, Vandersloot didn't say which Republicans were critical of Ibarra, again, this is Frank Vandersloot. If he wants to talk to any Republican he, you know, that he wants to reach out to, um, you know, that person's going to pick up the phone. That's just how it goes. Yeah. So, I think it's a very important endorsement, and to go back to what we looked for on Tuesday night, uh, Janet Jones won Bannock County, she won Bonneville County, she won both with, I want to say, about 56%, so it was, you know, a fairly significant victory. Wilson is from Eastern Idaho. She's a native of Preston. She taught in Eastern Idaho for a while. Now with this endorsement from Vandersloot, you know, if she does better in those two fairly large counties and we get those results fairly early in the evening, I mean, if you see Wilson up around 60 or so percent in Bonneville County or Bannock County, that bodes pretty well for her and is, uh, you know, does not bode well at all for Ibarra. On the when other I, hand, though, you kind of looked at seven counties that may matter and you also kind of crunched the numbers to analyze a potential path to victory for yeah. the incumbent, Sherry Yabara. And let's talk about that, specifically maybe Kootenai County. Kootenai County could be a, a very big deal. Up north, north and Idaho. It's up north, and that means uh, we'll get those numbers late in the evening uh, because of the time change, because of everything. Um, Ibarra won Kootenai County big four years ago. She got about 62% of the vote. She won the county by a 9,000-vote margin. And when you win statewide by 5,500 votes, a 9,000-vote uh, 9, swing is a really big deal. So I think, um, I think Kootenai County is, is huge for Sherry Ibarra. She's got to do well up there. Um, and I don't really know how to, how to call that one, uh, except to say, watch Kootenai County. It's really, yeah. really, very, very important. Because on the one hand, um, I spoke to pretty prominent Democrat a few days ago who said, you know, I think Cindy Wilson has a chance. I just don't know if she's done enough work in Kootenai County. 
On the other hand, uh, when I looked at the results from the primary, uh, Ibarra did win Kootenai County, but she won it fairly narrowly. I, I want to say it was only about uh, 51, 52% that she, uh, th that she collected in Kootenai County. I don't know what to read into that. It's tough to read. You know, Her opponent in, in, wasn't well-known, and if you think about Ybarra not campaigning actively, uh, her Republican opponent certainly did not campaign actively. Uh, he kept his job as superintendent of the Wilder School District and basically mm -hmm. didn't leave. Right. Um, so I don't know how much to read into that as a, an anti-Ybarra vote in the primary and whether that sticks and whether that resonates into the general election or if those voters come back to, to Ibarra in the Republican general election Republican brand anyway. is pretty powerful throughout exactly. central and northern and Idaho, that, as and, you've mentioned. And that kind of gets to sort of when I think about Ibarra's path to victory. Kootenai County is important. Canyon County is important, obviously, because there are so many votes and that's a Republican stronghold. But really, that, that whole swath of rural Idaho. Now, as many problems as Ibarra had with her campaign four years ago, she did win 35 counties. She did win almost every county in rural Idaho. And those two just start to add up. We don't pay as much attention to them because it's a few thousand votes here or there. But that's Republican country. You know, that's where your Republican uh, bus tour in October yeah. pays some dividends. And I know she spent some time on that bus tour. That's where your Lincoln days in every county, it seems, or uh, those start to add up. That, that's really part of the Republican brand. That's really part of the Republican formula is to take no county for granted and to make sure that you've, you've had a footprint in every county. So that's a big part of the path. Uh, if Ibarra is going to win, she has to do well in those rural counties. And, you know, to top it all off, I mean, there are a couple of counties that I, I couldn't begin to tell you what's going to happen based on what we saw four years ago. Twin Falls County, another fairly large county, pretty much was a toss-up four years ago. Nez Perce, pretty close. Ibarra won it narrowly. Sure, I, I want to take that back. Jones won uh, Nez Perce County narrowly. Ibarra won Twin Falls County narrowly. Pretty close in, in both cases. And those are reasonably sizable counties with a lot of votes uh, up for grabs. So... What does this all mean? And you can go to my blog and you can see more of these numbers if, if you want. I think it's going to be a really close race. I think this is um, the race that we'll probably be watching most closely. Um, and I, I don't know if I'll be up until 5 a.m. We'll, we'll be up until we get some sort of closure on this. It, it could be very close. Yeah, and I just want to check something that I mentioned earlier about the superintendent's race. Uh, four years ago, Sherry Ybarra won that race by just under 5,600 votes out of more than 425,000 cast Right, they statewide. both had a little bit over 200,000 yep. votes. Um, uh, but so. your vote absolutely uh, matters is the point that I, I'm trying to make. But you wanted to get the correct numbers uh, out there. It was more than 425,000 ballots cast statewide. The measure of uh, victory was just under 5,600 four years ago. Um, there are other elections right. <laughs> that we should probably spend a couple of minutes uh, talking about, too, uh, starting, of course, with the governor's race. Um, uh, we will elect a new governor for the first time in 12 years, no matter what the result uh, turns out to be. It'll be a race, obviously, we're, we're watching closely. I spent a little bit of time this week uh, writing about what are the implications for education? How, how might this uh, look? Uh, depending on whether Brad Little gets elected or Paulette Jordan gets elected, looking kind of what they've said about education, I'm trying to go beyond the rankings. You know, I, I've done fact checks on the rankings and the claims and the counterclaims. Uh, and 
I wanted to kind of look a little bit more at the policy end, what might happen on pre-K, on the 60% goal, on teacher pay. So we, we dig a little bit deeper into that. Uh, if you're trying to, uh, if you're still kind of on the fence about this election, wondering about the education implications, we, we break that down. But yeah, a another race, you know, I, I looked a little bit at the numbers to try to figure out what's going to happen here. You know, it's, you know, I think it's a little bit harder um, on paper to draw a path uh, for Paulette Jordan at this point uh, than, than for Brad Little, just looking at the numbers. And, and looking at the numbers only gets you so far. I, we don't know really what kind of campaign infrastructure she's got, what sort of apparatus she has to get out the vote, uh, do voter ID. So we'll watch. I, again, Ada County is going to be big. Uh, if Jordan has any chance at all Tuesday night, she's got to win Ada County pretty big because of, of all the votes that are out there. I'll be curious to see how she does in the rest of the state because that's going to impact not only her race, but other races down ticket. Yeah, I just don't know. And we had been having kind of an interesting conversation earlier this week um, about how Paulette Jordan could lose the governor's race but have a strong enough showing to perhaps push Cindy Wilson over the top in her race just below that, right? And yeah. we had looked at sort of, and that's sort of a hunch and an assumption in there, but we had looked at the last several general elections uh, worth of data, and specifically 2014, uh, where the Democratic superintendent nominee, Janet Jones, polled far better than the Democratic gubernatorial nominee, A.J. Belukov, who got something like 38% of the vote statewide, Jana Jones, also running as a Democrat, uh, got over 49% of the vote in that right. very, very close. So I'm thinking perhaps if Paulette Jordan, certainly if she wins, that's going to bode well uh, for Cindy Wilson. I don't think that that is going to happen. But if Paulette Jordan could get 44 45 46%, that in and of itself, coupled with some of these other factors we've mentioned, uh, Ada County, Bonneville, and Bannock counties, if Paulette Jordan did well statewide to the tune of 44 46%, that could push Cindy Wilson over the top, it, perhaps. It, it certainly would make the path for, for Cindy Wilson a lot easier if, if Paula Jordan even gets into the mid-40s, because you're right, and, and we looked at those numbers. So four years ago, the spread between A.J. Belukov and Janet Jones was about 11 percentage points. So if you, if you do the math, and, and that's not that uncommon, that, that yeah. spread between a gubernatorial candidate and a superintendent's candidate. Over time, we've seen this be, before, that Democrats do better in the superintendent race than they do in the governor's it's race. It's the last statewide office the Democrats held. It, it is, and it's the one that they've been closest to winning a, a couple of times since then. So, yes, if by all means, if, if Jordan wins, uh, that signals that this could be a really big year. That's going to be Democrats. a uh, historic it, night. It, it, would, it would be a... It would be. It would be a... People a, a, would talk about the failure of 2018 for generations if the Democrats won yeah, governor and state superintendent. It would be a Republican <laughs> reckoning if, if that happens because... Uh, and that it, won't happen, I don't think. I, I, yeah, I mean, it would be a stunner if we saw all of that occur. But even if Jordan comes in at about 45%, and I don't think that that's beyond the realm of possibility at all, if she comes in at 45%, it makes it a lot easier because you, you have to think that almost all of those uh, Jordan voters are going to vote for Cindy Wilson, assuming that they vote down ticket and they get there. Uh, the, the undervote isn't, uh, isn't very large. 
that gets uh, Wilson a lot closer to the 50% plus one that she needs to win. So, so coattails do matter. Margins do matter in these races. So we'll be watching it all um, and, and watching how it all, all comes together. I mean, you know, the governor's race is a big wild card in this uh, superintendent's race. So too is Prop 2, the Medicaid yeah. expansion. I, if that brings voters out in big numbers and this and there are some numbers out there showing that this could do very well that this could in and of itself bring people to the polls you would think that if voters are looking at prop two and that's a big issue for the medicaid expansion if you're just new to the and you know if voters are coming to the polls to vote for medicaid expansion and they've been watching the superintendent's race closely frankly they've been watching the governor's race closely uh Voters coming out for Proposition 2 are probably more likely to vote for Jordan and Wilson, who have both publicly endorsed the expansion. Yeah. Uh, Brad Little and Sherry Ibarra have been excruciatingly non-committal on, on that initiative. And, and oddly enough, I mean, with, with Little, I mean, it, he's gone out of his way not to take a position on Proposition 2. He supports Proposition 1. Uh, at least Ibarra is saying, I'm not going to publicly state a position on either initiative. So, you know... Yeah, you, know, you can call that a cop out if you will, but at least she's being consistent about it. Little, it's just he, he's not going to tell you where he stands uh, or how he plans to vote on Prop Two, except to say he'll implement it if it passes. And just to be fair, when we talk about the candidates letting the public know where they stand on the other issues on the ballot, there was an interesting moment in Monday's state superintendent yes, debate yes. where the moderator asked the state superintendent candidates who they were supporting for governor. Sherry Yabara said, it's no secret, uh, Brad Little has endorsed me, I'm supporting Brad Little, he will be our next governor. When D. Sarton asked Cindy Wilson, the Democratic nominee for state superintendent, who she would support, there was a very long pause, a silence, and it was live television, so maybe it was seven to ten seconds. It felt like three hours, it, and it, then she said... Finally, uh, you know, I haven't made up on my mind. I'm still deciding on this. And I think that's a moment that everyone will remember from that debate on Monday. It was definitely the most memorable moment from that last debate. And you wrote about the last debate. So if you want to get caught up, uh, read our story at, at idahoednews.org. Yeah, I was watching that um, on the TV like, like you, and it just felt really awkward. It felt really uncomfortable. I mean, it was a good question to ask her, and it got her in a in a very vulnerable moment. This was obviously a question she did not want to deal with. Maybe it was not a question she expected. I, you know, But certainly a fair question and certainly a telling response. And it gets to the interesting dynamics. We're sort of jumping all over here. This is the election <laughs> grab bag. Yes. But uh, it does get to sort of these interesting dynamics within the governor's race, specifically within the mainstream establishment of the Democratic Party, such that it is in Idaho, uh, and their willingness or unwillingness to embrace Paulette Jordan. And that's been something we've seen throughout the campaign. We saw a couple of different staff shakeups on Jordan's campaign. That's not that unprecedented or unusual. The results, the, the reasons behind that may have been. Um, but you had been looking through the campaign finance sunshine reports, both in the primary and in the general election. In the primary, none of the sitting Democratic legislators in the House or the Senate, the people who had worked with Paulette Jordan, financially supported her campaign. And it's been very slow in the general election. 
Um, I think Margie Gannon, the candidate who basically took Paula Jordan's seat and the legislature supported her. And then very late in the race, uh, some smaller donations coming in uh, from traditional Democrats. I believe Matt Erpelding, the House minority leader, gave a small amount to Paula Jordan in the last few days. And Alana Rubel, the assistant minority leader as well. But not widespread levels of support within the, the traditional... Uh, the traditional sense uh, from your Democratic establishment, which is, you know, not not all that strong in Idaho. Anyways, but that's something that we've noticed, this, this fight between the Jordan campaign and the traditional Democratic apparatus in the state of Idaho. Right. right? And, and it kind of goes back to, well, it goes back to the primary, and that was a surprisingly bitter primary. Oh, yeah. Uh, not so much between Jordan and Belukov, at least publicly, uh, I, you know, they were cordial and you know, you know their, their debates were pretty uh, but their pretty supporters genial, and but the rest of the party were, were visceral on, on both sides of this and I've always kind of felt that one of Jordan's uh, challenges from the primary on into November 6th has been to unite the Democratic Party and behind that hasn't happened and I have not seen a whole lot of evidence of that occurring and that's why those sunshine reports are so significant to me because uh, you're right. It took until um, late in the game for uh, Matt Erpelding and Alana Rubel, uh, two of the the Democrats' leaders in the state house, uh, to to kick money into Paula Jordan's campaign. That's that's significant, especially when I look at the other Sunshine reports. When I see support coming in pretty strong and pretty early for Cindy Wilson, and also for uh, Kristen Collum, the Democrats' uh, candidate for lieutenant governor. You know, that that was really telling to me and, and really interesting to me as I was looking at these Sunshine Reports. And, and now, you know, you're just kind of trying to glean as best you can what uh, the state of the race is based on where the money is coming from. And, and you know, so so that was that was interesting. And, and it gives me pause and it gives me, you know, it leaves me to wonder how much uh, Jordan has managed to unify the Democratic Party. And again, going back to those vote counts from from May and the challenge that Jordan has around the state, she won Ada County big in the primary. She won Canyon County big in the primary. She won Lata County big in the primary. The rest of the state, that primary was pretty much a dead heat. Uh, she didn't win Bannock County or Bonneville County or Nez Perce County or even Kootenai County, and she's from up north. Uh, if you're not winning those counties in a primary, it's going to be that much more difficult to to gain any headway in those counties in a general election. Now, I'm not saying that uh, Jordan is going to win Kootenai County. I'm not saying that a uh, Democratic no, candidate could, could win that county. I'm wondering about how, does she hold her own in Kootenai County or does she get, uh, get routed in Kootenai County? Those numbers matter. And those numbers matter not just to her, but they matter to Cindy Wilson. Again, the importance of Kootenai County. Yeah, and I, I think that's why this governor's race is so interesting. And I don't believe the hype at all with some of these national articles we're seeing about the Jordan campaign. I think that the some of those are ridiculous. Uh, but if certainly Paulette Jordan did win on Tuesday, I think that would shake up any notions of what the traditional Democratic Party is in Idaho and what it takes to win the election. But I'm not, I, I, I don't believe uh, some of those HuffPost and Guardian-type articles uh, where a reporter comes in and spends three or four days in Boise and says, oh my goodness, Paulette Jordan is 
you know, upending the conventional wisdom all throughout the West. I mean, I don't buy that for a second. But if she were to win, uh, it would be a very unorthodox uh, strategy, and it would really make you question. Uh, <laughs> you right, know, because, the, because she's operating on her own. Uh, on her own. She's got her own apparatus. She's got her own campaign. There's been a lot of distance between what she's doing and what the the state Democratic Party is doing. I mean, it seems like the state Democratic Party has focused a lot more of its attention on the lieutenant governor's race and the superintendent's race, uh, while Jordan is uh, charting her own course. And we'll see how that, uh, how that plays out uh, come Tuesday. So that's a big race to watch. We've already kind of touched on Medicaid expansion and and the other initiative, which also has education implications, is Prop 1. We've had this bitter fight over Proposition oh 1, which goodness. is either, depending on who you want to believe, it's either about uh, saving Idaho horse racing or returning unconstitutional slot machines to uh, to dog tracks and, and horse tracks across the state. Both, uh, well, both it's sides pretty, folks, accusing the other of lying. Live horse racing is legal in the state of Idaho today. Let's be clear, folks, about yes. uh, where that stands. So so what the Prop 1 folks uh, are saying is that uh, the industry needs another revenue stream in addition to paramutual betting on live horse racing. That's where your historical horse racing or, as the critics would say, slot machines yeah. enter into the equation. It's been a nasty, nasty campaign. And... You know, regardless of what you think about Paula Jordan's policy or her politics or her candidacy, it is historic that we're sitting here in 2018 and you have a Native American woman, you know, on the, the top of the ticket running for governor uh, as a major party candidate. That's historic. That's significant. And at the same time, you've had this, this really bitter and, and ugly campaign going on and, you know, the opponents of Prop 1 have made it sound like slot machines are, uh, you know, they, they've tried to draw a, a causal link between slot machines and the Las Vegas massacre last October. I mean, really ugly, really unseemly campaigning from the opponents. The, the supporters have, you know, tried to demonize the Coeur d'Alene Indian tribe, and, you know, Paula Jordan is a member of that tribe, have tried to demonize the Coeur d'Alene tribe for their, you know, their spending in opposition to Proposition 1. And, it, you know, the rhetoric is, you know, what is the Coeur d'Alene tribe hiding? The secret's out about the Coeur d'Alene tribe. Gets you awfully close to some very, you know, unsavory history in the state in terms of anti-Native American uh, sentiment. You know, the juxtaposition of that campaign versus the, you know, having a, uh, a Native American running for governor and, and on the ballot for governor uh, it isn't lost on, on me as I watch this thing. And somewhere along the way, education has become sort of a, a, an issue within the issue of, of Proposition 1 because there would be, and you've chronicled it before, one half some, of one percent some funding of off of this. Uh, it would going be to public schools. In the it's way not that, a huge amount of money. In the way that the Idaho lottery supports public schools, a very small amount. Yes, Even we, smaller than the lottery. Yeah, quite we could, a bit smaller. Um, one half of one percent of sales receipts uh, of revenues coming in uh, for, through incident horse racing would go to schools. Yes, that's something. Yes, that could be thousands, perhaps eventually millions of dollars someday. But we are talking about a one point eight billion dollar public school budget out of the general fund. So a very very small amount. Uh, but yes, it's there, and yes, it's written into um, the props, and it would be written into how it would pass. And we did have incident horse racing 
uh, for perhaps two years, maybe three summers, uh, before when it was enacted and then later repealed by the legislature. And so there is a little bit of precedent and there are some historical receipts of some small increases to education. But yes, it is tangentially. They're trying to make it a big part of the debate, uh, but it is a very small part uh, of the revenue stream right. is how I would uh, characterize that. You mentioned real quick the staying up late four years ago. Let's just talk real quick about what we're going to be doing on election night and how folks can get the latest results because... Uh, yeah, well, we'll all be bring working. your cot to the office on Tuesday night because it's going to be a late one, right? Well, I'll be working late Tuesday night into Wednesday morning. Um, you will be giving, uh, you'll be doing live coverage uh, during the night. I will have a live blog going. I'm also going to uh, do a couple of TV spots, both on uh, Idaho Public Television on Tuesday night. In addition to being on the pundits panel uh, for Idaho Reports this week, uh, starting Friday night. So we'll have live spots on Idaho Public Television, also on Channel 6 uh, in the Treasure Valley. And I will have a live blog going on. And we will have up-to-the-minute results. If you want to see the numbers in the governor's race, the superintendent's race, the props, uh, the, the proposition, five big legislative races, legis five legislative races that we've, we've got our eye on. If you want to see all of that, we will be updating those numbers in real time. So uh, stay with us through election night and, and then beyond because we will have... Uh, analysis and coverage and follow-ups through the week. Uh, we reserve the right to um, to record an emergency podcast on Wednesday, uh, so stay tuned and see if we do that. At the very latest, we will have a podcast next Friday uh, to break all of this down as we uh, as we finally come to Election Day and Election Night. Yeah, and just remember, on Election Day itself, Tuesday, November 6th, IdahoEdNews.org will be the place to be uh, starting after 9 o'clock Mountain Time. Uh, we'll be starting to get the, the results put into the site, idahoidnews.org. I'll be updating that in real time. You'll be out on the television and blogging for us. Uh, our multimedia reporter, Andrew Reed, will be going back and forth between the Republican and Democratic campaign headquarters, getting uh, some photos, videos, reactions from the field. And we'll be up uh, I mean, as, as long, long as we it, can hang as long on. As but, it takes. I mean, it's going to be into the early hours Wednesday morning. Um, Unless uh, we're wrong and none of these are close, um, which I kind of doubt. I think we're going to have an interesting have one close night ahead one. of us. Yeah. Yes, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not too worried that we'll, you know, that we'll be lacking drama on Tuesday night. All right, uh, yeah, a lot going on. We're going to try and get some sleep this weekend. Uh, but meanwhile, thanks so much for joining us on the Extra Credit Podcast. We always have a lot of fun breaking down this intersection of election or of education policy and education politics. Heavy on the politics recently, and, and well, we get that. Yes. <laughs> uh, but a good reason, if you want to double check uh, before Tuesday if you're registered to vote or where your polling place is, if you've moved lately or if you haven't voted in a couple election cycles, your polling place may have changed. And so head over to IdahoVotes.gov. That's a site uh, established by the Idaho Secretary of State's office. You can enter your address and your information, and it will save you a little time on Tuesday by telling you yes or no, whether you're already registered to vote, and then where your polling place would be, just to clear up any confusion and make sure you do have the ability to set that time aside on Tuesday and go vote if you and, have and, not already right. voted and, absentee. And do vote if you haven't already. And now, if you've listened to a 35-minute podcast about the elections, you probably are planning to vote or have voted already. But if you're at all on the... If you're at all on the fence, uh, do vote. These are important elections. All right. Thanks so much for joining us this week. We will be back next week at some point. Maybe it's Wednesday. Maybe it's Friday. Stay tuned and find out. Be sure to visit the homepage to get all of the latest election results Tuesday night and Wednesday morning. Thanks so much. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week.